This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, we don't just talk about productivity, but creativity and what that word really means. We're doing a lot of those focus in on, hey, what does that word really mean type stuff lately? We did that recently with the word hustle. We're doing it again this week with the word creativity or creative or creative type. And why you may not think you are one of those quote-unquote creative types, but you probably are. In fact, we all are creative and have creative type blood running through us. This conversation is with Kent Sanders, who is author of The Artist's Suitcase, 26 Essentials for the Creative Journey. And again, this is not just about doing good work or doing quote-unquote art and that vein of creativity or writing or words. But we we get into the nuts and bolts of this. What the heck does creativity mean? And why do we so easily lump it together as just this special thing for some people and not something that everybody in everyday life can do? Again, one of my favorite conversations to have had thus far on this show, and I'm very happy to bring it to you. I'm also happy to bring you another suggestion of a course from lynda.com that goes right along with this podcast conversation. If you don't know what lynda.com is, it is a site where you can get thousands upon thousands of training and coursework all about every subject out there imaginable, tools, tips, tricks, just learning <laughs> like crazy. And as we talked about in this conversation where it's just in time learning and that phrase that keeps coming up called just-in-time learning, lynda.com is a great source for exactly that. If you're not already a member of lynda.com, you can go to lynda.com slash T-O-D-O and get a 10-day free trial through Beyond the To-Do List. Again, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-O-D-O. And my course suggestion this week is called Creativity Bootcamp. Not only do we talk all about creativity and what it is and what it isn't and how to use it and all of that in this conversation, in this show, but this creativity boot camp session that you have access to if you have a lynda.com account or start a free trial, this creativity boot camp is awesome because you go through some of the common misconceptions about creativity. You learn the hidden value of the quote unquote stupid idea and go through different exercises and energize your creative process. It's a very hands-on, interactive course, and it's going to boost your creative output and help you get more ideas. So again, the course is called Creativity Bootcamp. Search for that once you've started your free trial at lynda.com slash T-O-D-O. That's L-Y-N-D-A 
lindaandlinda.com slash T-O-D-O. And once you get in there, or if you already have a lindaandlinda.com account, type in Creativity Bootcamp and you'll find the course. Let me know what you think and let me know if you've found other lindaandlinda.com courses that I should suggest to the rest of the Beyond the To-Do List listeners. This week is my privilege to bring you Kent Sanders of The Artist's Suitcase. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me on. So I have to tell you, it's been, what, a year and a half now, somewhat, since I was on your show, which you are in the process of rebooting. So yes, when we get to the end of the show, we'll kind of direct people as how they can get in touch with you and get on board with getting notified about when you relaunch. Because honestly, that was one of my favorite podcast conversations. Seriously, that, uh, I wouldn't I've have had. guessed that. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, you, you, I think it's been a while since I listened to it, but I just, I remember this impression of you were getting stuff out of me that I didn't know I had to give. And that's always a good sign. So I was wow, kind of well, sad you turned your podcast off <laughs> and I'm glad you're bringing it back. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate that a lot. The, the reason why I stopped doing it, actually, you were the last interview that I did. Wow. So that was the last episode. Oh, so you went out on a bang. Great. <laughs> I did. I did. If for better well, or for worse. <laughs> Well, honestly, I started a podcast and I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a clear direction for it. I learned a ton through the process, but I kind of had to think about I'm spending a lot of time doing this and I don't really have a clear vision for where it's going. So I thought, I'm just going to shut it down. I'll reboot it at some later time with a more clear direction. Yeah. Well, and I bet that you not having that on your plate in your workflow and your life as a an expectation, a role of a podcaster allowed you to get your book done, right? Right. I think that, and again, exactly. that's probably one of the key pieces that, you know, as we talk here, we'll discover is sometimes we've got things we want to do and we've got a long list of them. And by, by things that we've got to do or want to do, I, I'm not talking about the things that we've got to do, you, you know, the necessities of paying the bills and being present for our family and even engaged or intentional. But right. talking about like personal creative projects and the wide swath of things that fall underneath that very limiting title. Yeah, there's so many things you can be doing with your time. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy because you can go so many different directions and you really have to hone in and focus on what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. Yeah. When you hear that word creativity or a creative as a, as a descriptor for a person, what does that make you think of? Well, it's interesting because this whole this whole idea or the concept of creativity, I think, let me back up a little bit. I come from a church background mm -hmm. and in the church world, you know, and I know some of, some of your listeners are active in church, some are not, but in the church world, if you will, what we've done with the word worship is we've kind of relegated that to basically the music in a church service when really the the idea in the Bible of worship is much, much broader than that. So coming from that sort of church ministry background, I relate the same thing to the word creativity in the sense of we tend to think of creativity as really either as really applying to only two groups. We think it's either people who are very eccentric or flamboyant or quirky or those weirdo artist people, or we think that creativity is something that really only applies to kids. Like, hey, here's a kid with his Play-Doh or his Legos or, you know, from, from our generation, the kid with the light bright you know, stuff like that. But creativity is so much of a broader thing. And I don't look at it as something that is just connected to the creative arts, like painting, drawing, filmmaking, that type of thing. It really is more of what I think of as a life orientation. And I think it has a lot to do with feeding yourself and keeping yourself healthy. 
I think it has a lot to do with an orientation of being generous. And uh, I think of it basically, if I could frame it like this, whereas a creative person is like a river where there's, there's water flowing in, there's water flowing out, there's a constant flow. And that person is basically a channel for generosity and goodness and just bringing something positive to the world and to their relationships and to their work. Whereas I think a person who is not creative is like a pond. You know, when I, I grew up out in the woods in southern Missouri, and a couple of miles from our house, we had this little pond out in the woods. And I would ride my bike back there sometimes. This pond was nasty. It had, you know, it had all the scum on top of it. It was stagnant. It was ugh, kind of a, just a gross thing. And I think sometimes we, we can be like that person who is, they're not generous. They're not feeding themselves. They're not growing. To me, that's the, the difference really between a creative person and a not creative person. It's much, much broader to me than just this idea of, well, they're a writer, they're a, they're a painter, they're a storyteller or whatever. It really is more of, I think, a life orientation, if that makes sense. So it's, it's not a, let me think of the best way to put this. I'm trying to paraphrase. If I hear, I think I hear you saying, there's no such thing as, well, I'm an artist and you're not. It's, yeah. it's, it's much more of a, I'm trying to think of the correct word here trying to be creative. No, um, I'm trying to think of the word probably is it's much more of a spectrum. I think so. Yeah. Because when we use that word artist, we typically think of, of people who are in the creative arts and specifically things like graphic arts or design or an actor or a musician or something like that. But I think it's a much, much broader thing because everybody is an artist in their own way. Everybody has something to share. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their quote unquote art. I mean, that could be auto mechanics. That could be homemaking. That could be cooking. That can be running a business because there's definitely an art and a craft to that. So maybe the better approach is, is to actually almost sort of get rid of the word art from a vocabulary and use the word craft instead. Mm, Everybody has their craft. They have their vocation. They have their passion. Really, I think it's the same thing as saying, hey, that person is an artist. Well, Yes, that's one term we can use for it, but there's so much baggage attached to that idea of arts or even the word creativity that maybe we could look at it more in terms of this person has, they have a calling, they have a a passion, they have a craft that they do, whatever that is. So I don't put any distinction between myself and the guy who fixes my car in terms of what I do is, is art and that's creative, but this guy isn't. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, the way I see it is that, yeah, there's no difference between a, person who's doing some other craft and say a mechanic on a car because ultimately you've got your medium that you work in and your tools for that and you know the tools that when it, again when it comes to an automotive person I don't get it but I can appreciate the complexity and their creative talent and hard work that they pour into that and they're passionate about it and thankfully so because I'm not and I don't understand it and I need my car fixed so Oh, completely. I think what we've done in, in modern culture, maybe even just Western culture, I don't know, but we tend to take people with certain giftedness, for instance, musicians, actors, you know, filmmakers, other celebrities who sometimes don't have any giftedness, but they're famous for no reason, you know, they're just famous for being famous. But we take that group of people and we have really elevated them to this almost like a, a superhuman level, Yeah, you know, I mean, and well, and also we do the same thing for athletes as well. You could put that in the same category, maybe even more so to some degree. 
but we've we've relegated those people to a higher class than people with other giftedness like you know let's take the auto mechanic example when really you're exactly right it's it's not really a matter of this person is gifted this person isn't it's just they have two different mediums and for whatever reason we tend to really elevate people with specific types of creative gifts i don't know why we do that but it's just kind of how it is in culture yeah and well and i think you know it, to keep going with this analogy or this analysis even the automotive person to a certain extent is working in a medium that has a very practical application for everyday life utilitarian or utility i guess i should say is right. that it provides something that we need as a necessity now am i am i saying that the the musician is not providing something that's a necessity honestly i'm not because I, I'm not saying they're not. Oh my gosh, double negatives. Anyways, <laughs> what I am saying, um, what we need somebody here is a writer. Oh wait, um, <laughs> what we need to do is look at the the value. I'm, I'm looking at the value of what it is that it is created, and it's subjective. But to oh, a certain extent, God. some of this stuff is very like baseline. Hey, if these people weren't good at what they do and weren't passionate about it, then you know society would be <laughs> kind of set back or, or strained because we wouldn't have people that are making cars and building cars and creative in that sense. And then again, if we didn't have people making music, life would stink a little bit more without totally, that music. Totally. It totally would. I mean, let's not, uh, but to say that Bono, for example, <laughs> is, is better than someone else. Like it, it's, well, I guess I would say that, but anyway, that's just cause I like him a lot, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Um, let's go back to this word generosity or, or generous. You use that word as you were describing uh, a creative person. And I really kind of, I, I get the analogy of the pond versus the river. What do you mean by that generosity or that generousness? Well, I think it has, you know, typically we think of generosity as a financial thing first and foremost. And, you know, like in the church world, for example, when we talk about generosity, we mean tithing or giving or whatever. But I think it goes far beyond just a financial thing. I think it is a way that you're oriented in life. For instance, I think it, it also applies to when you're walking down the hall at your workplace or just in public or whatever. It means you're not just kind of in your own little world. You're making eye contact with people. That means you're intentional about giving people compliments. And I think the first place that our generosity starts is with our words. You know, I don't, I don't think you can be generous financially, but then be very uh, selfish or very stingy with your words. I think the two things go hand in hand. They're really, it's just two uh, manifestations of the same impulse, I think, which is, hey, I'm here to give. I'm here to bless other people. I'm here to contribute and to be positive and, and just to bring something to the world. And that impulse will show, I think, in your words and being complimentary of people, of noticing people. You know, it's kind of like Andy Stanley's book, The Noticer, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I think it does come out financially. You know, as much as we're able, we understand that money is not something just to be hoarded for ourselves. It's a channel of blessing. And, you know, the more that we give to people, the more that we do get in return. So I think it's it's that orientation of, yeah. of just helping people, of blessing people, of being a force for good in the world. I think that's where it starts. Yeah, being a conduit, being a... Exactly. Being a receiver to what the world is giving you, and not just through monetarily that you may or may not have earned or through experiences, but all of these things as you're, you're, you're it's, it's almost, I'm picturing, <laughs> I'm picturing the cover of Dark Side of the Moon right now, um, <laughs> where you're receiving the one thing and you're and out from you as an artist or a craft person, 
uh, a creative person that you're receiving all these things on one side and, and out the other or out of you to everyone else, you are then generously giving what you've received and it's flowing freely through you. And, and it takes, and so then what we're saying is that someone working in any kind of craft, let alone your personality or your, uh, being a good person or whatever, that it comes out in all those different things that you are involved in. I think so. I, I really think it does. Now, the thing that I would say, though, is I think sometimes we mistake generosity for, uh, I, I don't know how to put it exactly, but we think that means that we have to be trampled on and let people take advantage of us and that we don't make any money for things. And those aren't the same thing at all. I think generosity do, it does mean that we get compensated for doing good work and, and hopefully we get compensated well for that. And, and you know, there's all kinds of spectrums on, on that end of things, but it's more than just hey, I'm just going to give away everything. I'm going to let people take advantage of me. It's it's really, again, just an orientation of doing the best work that we can, of being generous with it, of hopefully giving really, really good value to whatever it is that we do. So I don't think it's a thing where we just say, well... Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm just going to give everything away and 
I'm not going to be compensated or or somehow paid back for what I'm doing or or something like that. You yeah, know? no, I, I think there's something inherent in if you're doing good work, you deserve compensation in some way. And I think at different stages of how, geez, I'm 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 really mangling these words. I'm trying to figure <laughs> a better way to say this, but I guess I'm saying the work the work that you do is worth getting compensated for appropriately and some is worth more than others but only if and that's not to say giving something away for free is not a good thing but it's also not a good thing to say that we should always give everything we do away for free right so right. there's a mix there for example you know let's go back to the car thing again i think that makes sense i think it's i think it applies here like the guy could be working all day every day on cars and love it and he gets paid well for it and he enjoys doing it now say he he has a friend in need that he knows really needs his help to come check something out well there's a difference between getting taken advantage of and asked to do that thing all the time yes but there's there's a difference between that and this person knowing that need and sensing that need and being aware of that need and stepping in and offering on a circumstantial basis without even thinking about it. Like just, no, the need's there and I'm going to meet it. And that I would say is generosity. Yeah. Well, and I think generosity can also maybe even show itself in the fact that we do charge people for things in the sense of, I think generosity is concerned with, with giving something of real value, but it's also concerned with wanting the best for people, you know, because it's, you know, commerce is not a one-way street. There has to be equal value on both sides. And sometimes the best way to help somebody is by charging them for something. Because when they pay for it, they're going to be more likely to follow through on it or go through that course or use that product or whatever it is. So I I think it's all related to each other. It's just I want the best for someone. And sometimes that means I I give them something for free. Sometimes it means I perform a service for free. But also it means I think sometimes we do charge for it because that's what's going to help that person the best. Yeah, I agree. And, And honestly, one of the things we may have overlooked is sometimes charging somebody for something that we have created is our way of allowing them to tap into their generosity. Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, and I love that concept. I just, I, I think that that's one of those things that we just don't really even talk that much about. So as somebody is being creative, as they are in whatever field it is, and even if they don't feel like they are, figuring out a way to maybe tap into that. One of the ways that they do that is one practicing, uh, you know, in public to do that. But what are some of the other ways that if you are, or even if you aren't, but you're trying to figure out where you may be, since we, we really all are creative in some way, somewhere, how would you suggest people start to spend their time wisely, especially if they're <laughs> cramped for time as it is to, to figure that out, to figure out uh, you know, we're already fatigued. I'm already tired, but I feel like something's missing and I just feel like I'm not working on the things I need to be working on. Right. Well, I think it, it also goes back to this idea a little bit of creativity isn't just about making stuff or about making, you know, creative arts type of stuff. It's really, again, about it's a state of your life. I think it's an orientation or an impulse. But whenever we're really pressed for time and whenever you feel very stressed about life, you feel like you have no margin, you're tired all the time, you're irritable. That's not a state in which you can be generous or to think about others or to think about you know, your own growth or creativity. So I do think it, it goes back to 
you know, to, in order to, to be creative, you have to have kind of a baseline of energy and a baseline of margin and of, of space and health in your life. And many of us don't operate like that. We don't have any margin. Yeah. So for me, I think it really looks at how do I spend my time? What am I, what am I doing with my time? What kind of people am I spending my time around? That didn't make grammatical sense, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Who am I spending my time with? Yes. Thank you. Thank yes. you. I knew there was a better way to phrase that. But I, I do think it goes back, back to that. And I can offer some practical suggestions if you think that would be helpful. I'd love to hear some. Well, there's, there's four or five things that I think are, are really key. One is to ask yourself, are you truly busy with things that matter and that are contributing to your goals? And I know you're big on goals. Of course, you co-authored a book on that. So goals are really, really important. And I don't think we can really determine if we're using our time wisely if we don't know what our goals are and we don't know what we want to accomplish. So to me, it really begins with knowing what you want to accomplish and where you're going. Then you can really determine, am I using my time wisely? Am I spending it with, with people who are helping me to accomplish those goals? Am I spending it with people who are helping me be productive and helping me be positive and helping me be my best self? That sounds like an Oprah phrase, but, mm-hmm. but it's true though. We all have to be our own selves, but we should be the best version of ourselves, you know? Yeah. A version that's kind and generous and, and positive and is doing good work. So I think that's one thing that we have to do is ask ourselves, are we busy with things that matter and are contributing to our goals? Another thing is to ask whether we're truly taking control of our schedule. Are we letting other people dictate our schedule? Now, if you have a family, if you have a job, if you're employed, if you're a volunteer at an organization or a church, Obviously, your schedule is not just about you. It's also about others that are in your life. But many times we do let other people dictate our schedules because we're not taking control of them. You know, and obviously, yeah. if you do have a family, you're going to be spending time with them. But, you know, there have been a lot of times where people have asked me to be a part of something or to volunteer for something or spend my time in some kind of way. And I've said no, just because that didn't align with my goals and my own priorities. You know, and it's a balance. I don't think there's a perfect answer to it because you, you don't want to be a person who's all about you all the time. Mm-hmm. But then again, if you don't take care of yourself first, then you don't have anything to give anybody else. Yeah. I was so gonna it, say, it's I, a balance. Yeah. There. I, I, when I hear you saying that, I hear uh, when you when I hear you say, ask yourself who has control over your time or your schedule. I also think who has control over that and to what extent, like how much permission do they have? Because for example, you know, your wife's probably got the most permission aside from yourself. And that's a different relationship than say maybe the kids and also different from say your parents or your boss. And, and again, the boss thing comes in and it's like, okay, well they have a certain amount of time on me, but yes, you need to know the boundary there as well. Yeah. So and that is true. Not, not all people are equal in your life in terms of their claim on your time and your emotional energy and, and all that. Like, for instance, yesterday, uh, I'm a college professor full-time, by the way, for those who, who didn't know, which is probably everybody who's you know, listening to this. <laughs> what's this guy actually do for a living? I, I teach college. And the good thing about the nature of my job is that it is flexible somewhat. And every semester, I have a little bit of a different day schedule. So yesterday, my wife sends me a text about 10 in the morning and says, hey, do you want to have lunch? And I was actually done teaching for the day because I teach some hybrid and online courses. So it's not all face-to-face classes. Right. And I had nothing else going on the rest of the day schedule-wise. And so I thought, yeah, let's, let's go, go to lunch. So I left here and drove to her workplace and we had lunch together. Now, if someone else had come in and said, hey, do you want to do lunch today? I probably would have said no because I actually did have work to do. But for my wife, 
I quickly dropped it and thought, I can pick this up later today or whatever. But for someone else, I probably wouldn't have done that. So to me, that's an example of you have to to know what your priorities are. And gosh, I don't get it right all the time by any stretch. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're playing it by ear. I mean, again, you weren't even expecting your wife to text you about lunch. No, that's true. That's so true. You were, but because you had your priorities already in place, you were then able to quickly assess and be generous to her with your time. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. It's a practical application that just plays out right there in front of you. So how then, what, what are some of the other tools here when it comes to busy people? Their schedule is packed. Maybe they have gone through and they've decided, okay, I've, I've asked myself those questions and I do kind of have a handle on that, but I still feel super busy. Well, let me kind of get to the psychology of the busyness for a little bit. And I'm not a psychologist. I don't play one on TV <laughs> or anything like that. I do work with a, with college kids all the time. And that's that's really interesting because, you know, college is a unique time in your life for listeners who have been to, you know, a traditional college setting where you live and you go to classes for, you know, four years and all that. And that, that's an interesting time in life because college students are very, very busy. Now, I think of myself as a busy person, but when I look at the schedules of some of my students, I mean, they're in class all day. Most of them have part-time jobs, some of them full-time jobs. And then they have other commitments on top of that. And they have stuff going on all the time. And, you know, half of them are up half the night, every night doing stuff, homework and whatnot. And one of the things that I like to do with them is, is I like to sit down with their schedule and go through it. And I like to probe why are you involved in so many things? Obviously, you're in class, you have a job, but that doesn't consume all of your time. And what applies to college students applies to us as well. I think we have to sit down and really ask ourselves, why is it that we feel that we have to be busy all the time? You know, for instance, when you're sitting at home, you know, earlier before I think we started this, this conversation, we were talking about smartphones and, and I tend to, to pick up my phone all the time. It's just an ingrained habit. And I try to be conscious of that because if I'm sitting down on the couch at home or in my office at work, it's hard for me to just sit and be still, you know, and I always reach for that phone, but I, I, there's some type of psychology going on there. I don't know what it is, but it's this need that we have to be constantly busy. We have to be constantly occupied with something and distracted with something. And I think in some sense, maybe that's a hard issue and we have to figure out why do I need to be busy and and distracted and engaged in something every single second. It's almost like it's kind of a mass sickness almost in society where we have to be constantly occupied. And I think we have to ask ourselves, why? what's going on in my psychology and in my spirit and in my heart where I feel like I have to be doing that constantly? I think there's a couple of factors that play into this. I think one is just the idea that work expands to the time that you allow it to and so, you know, you can set aside a certain amount of time to get work done. And if you don't get it done, then it kind of hangs over your head. That's one, that's one scenario. Uh, another is that maybe you do have an overload of things and you don't have enough time or you're not making, you're not moving fast enough or focused enough with the time that you have to get it all done. So then you yes. feel like you feel guilt for sitting still and taking a break because well, I've got this phone here. I could be doing my emails. I haven't done right. my emails. You know, I need to still do that. That's part of my quote unquote work. So there's that. And that plays into it. Uh, another is I think that because we've started to become accustomed to this online world and this digitally connected world, pros and cons, one of the cons being that there's always something going on 
online. Yes. And we f- have that fear of missing out. So we want to tap in and see what's going on there. Even if we swipe through our Facebook feed yet again, five minutes after we've already done it, <laughs> and there's nothing new there, but we just feel like if I didn't do that, what will I miss that, you know, I, I won't be first to know or in the know or, or something along those lines. And, yeah. And yeah, then th- I think it does go back to maybe kind of an, a heart or mind issue. I think part of this is, is we've been trained that way re- in recent times. But I also think part of it is, is it we've been trained that way or allowed ourselves to be trained that way for the fact that we already kind of felt like we had some internal struggles already with uh, in, in regard to boredom or yeah. which is a good thing boredom as well as just wondering if there was something there to you know occupy your time i mean i'm a i'm a child of the the 80s and the video games and <laughs> me too definitely played them any chance i got so how can i fault my kids for wanting to grab an ipad every 5 seconds that they have and yet i know it's not good for them or me yeah yeah well it yeah it is funny because as a kid i played I mean, we had an. This is going to go way back. We I had know an, where you're going. I heard we that. Had, for yeah, that we had syllable. an Atari yeah. at home, and I played the heck out of that thing, and I I loved it, you know. But yet, and I turned out okay. I I think <laughs> other people that may be debatable. I don't know. But then I I see my son playing video games, and there's part of me as a parent that goes, "Oh my gosh, he's played that more than an hour. It's going to fry his brain. He's going to flunk out of yeah. school. He's going to become this terrible human being." You know, and I think in my own heart, I tend to maybe overreact with things like that sometimes. I don't know. I think all parents are just trying to figure this out and what's what's enough and what's too much. And um, I don't know. I definitely don't have it figured out. But I know as a kid, I did watch a lot of TV. I did play a lot of video games. And, and I never could, as a kid, though, beat Super Mario Brothers 1. I just wow. I just beat that game a few years ago on our original Nintendo. I know that's crazy. Yeah. And you, you know, know here I'm like mid thirties, and I just beat Super Mario Brothers one, yeah. save the princess. I, I was probably in my twenties when I did it, and not my so so I can identify. I just had the the window was there <laughs> sooner for me to to go back and be like, all right, yeah. <laughs> my old nemesis, I will get you now. <laughs> I never have beat Super Mario Brothers three. That still really bugs me. But oh, it, see, I did that first. So really, that yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, that was one of those ones where you know, again, I would sit and I would study the gamer's manual to that game when I was a kid. Uh, I'm trying to think of when that was. But anyways, yeah, I totally get it. We want to fill the time partly out of guilt because we have the time. We try to fill our time with stuff that will occupy us because we feel like we should be doing something worthwhile with our time. And then when we choose wrong, we get double guilted because (laughs) we're not using it wisely. And so how the heck do we break that cycle? Yeah, that's really tough, and I don't think there's any simple answers for it. You know, I don't think there's this, an easy three-step system for doing that. But I do think habits are a huge part of that. And for me, just and I, I don't do this perfectly by any stretch, and I probably mess up more than I get it right. But I do think somehow just getting away from our devices can be a huge part of that, and even just having a cutoff time, mm-hmm. like hey, after 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. or 11 or whatever, I'm not going to get on Facebook. I'm not gonna check email. I'm not going to do this or that. I know that for myself, if I check Facebook from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., I'm going to be on there probably an hour because that seems to be when all of my Facebook friends are on there. It's kind of like a virtual party, you know, and you don't want to miss out on it because that's, I mean, it's people that you genuinely like and are friends with. They're commenting on things, sometimes things that are are important and that are helpful. 
or funny or or whatever. You want to be wanna, at the yeah. You want to be at the party when you do. Everyone else that you want to be with is at the party. You don't want to be there by yourself. You do, you do, and sometimes you do miss out on stuff. I mean, let's face it, you do miss out on connections sometimes. But but at what price does that come? Though? Well, so I want to point something out here. Until the internet came, you weren't everywhere at every point in time. Exactly. Analog. So why would you expect to do that digitally, especially yeah. when you're an analog being, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the things that helps me is just – th- and, and so I go back to the fact that, you know, hey, if you've got your priorities set up and you're more quickly able to say no for the most part to things that aren't aligned with those, it also frees you up to say yes to the right opportunities when they come up. Yes. So Well, yeah. And I think part of it too is the fact – and it kind of goes back to the psychology a little bit of why do we feel like we have to be engaged all the time? What is it that's going on in my life where I feel like I've got to get on Facebook and be involved? And part of that, I think it, it's wanting that validation from other people. You know, when we're not comfortable with who we are and what we're doing in life and sometimes we feel like a failure and we don't feel successful, we want that validation and that involvement from other people. And, you know, social media is a great place to find that. It's also a great place to find a lot of other bad stuff and, and negativity if you you know if you want to seek that out. But there's there's something about I think wanting other people's validation and they want they want we want them to to affirm us as a person and that yes I'm funny or I'm worthwhile or thanks for sharing this or whatever it is. But you know the more comfortable we are in our own skin, I think the more that we accept who we are. Again, this kind of sounds like an Oprah show a little bit, but but I think it is true. You know, when you're comfortable with who you are and what your giftedness is and you're clear on your goals in life, then you really don't need as much of that outside affirmation to keep you sort of emotionally going all the time. You know, we all need encouragement, of course, but there's a difference between the person who likes to be encouraged and who who needs that occasionally versus the person who just craves it and can't make a decision in their life or take a step forward without asking 12 different people. Is this what I should do? Is this okay? Do you think this is the right thing to do? Yeah, so and, and there's me, not, that's how it goes. Yeah. It goes back to that somewhat. And there's nothing wrong with having a trusted group of people that you do run those major life decisions. No, you should. You by, should obviously, but you don't need to ask. You know, you don't. <laughs> we don't need to poll our Facebook friends in in yeah. one post and say, "Hey guys, should I do this?" And, and one of the other key pieces I think is that yes, it's it's very good to have encouragement and you know validation from outside as well as inside of yourself. But one of the other things we do, unfortunately, is when we see what other people are doing, we make comparisons. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the biggest downfalls of, of Facebook. And, you know, I say social media, but Facebook is is so dominant over everything else. Yeah, that it's, I just, it's the I largest just Facebook. one. I would even say Instagram with the it's this that's singular true. shot moment that's perfect in my life that I framed for you. Blah, I'm, I'm off. That's true. Or that's my life true. is good right now, you know. Well, and, and all of that is curated, and, and we all do the same thing. Yes, that is a key you know? word right there, curation. And we don't we don't see the the fight they had with their spouse. We don't see the struggle they have with their job or or financial problems or what, whatever else other stuff that they don't want to show us. Likewise, we don't show that stuff to people online. I wouldn't yeah. want to. Well, and I you know? and, and my rule is is I try to go positive at all times, and if I am negative, I don't you know I don't tweet angry, and I apply that across all networks, obviously. But yeah, you know there have been. A lot of times where I've put something on Facebook and then I I put it up there and then I immediately thought, you know, I think somebody could misread this and then I've deleted it. I've done that mm-hmm. dozens of times, I think. So because stuff can be so easily misunderstood and misinterpreted and 
and all that. So to me, it's much better just to stay positive, stay light. You know, I don't, I don't follow that all the time, I guess, but I try to at least. Yeah. One of the other things that's tricky when it comes to falling into that comparison trap is the fact that there are so many things that people are out there doing in their lives and we feel like they're leaving us behind maybe. And so we've got to catch up. We've got to, man, they're producing all these great podcasts and I'm not, I'm not even caught up on little on making, let alone listening to my shows. And then there's this list, there's this chunk of books here I've got to go through and I want to go to that conference. How do you suggest people deal with this? You know, that's a good question. And I, I really experienced that this past summer when a lot of my friends online were at podcast movement. Yes. And even though I haven't been producing a podcast myself for about a year and a half, I'm still very much engaged with that community and, and a lot of friends who are doing podcasting and, and kind of in that space. And I saw pictures of people meeting Mark Marin and people having fun and all these people that I know, they're together and they're learning all this cool stuff. And I felt kind of like a loser that whole week, you know, I'm because sorry. I wasn't able to go. I had a picture of me and Mark Marin as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Well, and actually what that made me do is it made me determine then to to be able to go next year, you know, because I yes. thought, man, this is an awesome thing. But but that is true. We see people doing vacations, uh, you know, their, their big vacation po- photos. We see them having all kinds of great success and all that. I don't know how you deal with that, really, other than the fact that just realizing you have your own good stuff going on in life. Mm-hmm. And of course, they do as well. But that jealousy factor does come into play. And to me, the question is, can we be happy for someone else and their success without feeling like that takes away from us? Because whenever whenever we think that life is kind of like a zero-sum game, you know, that's bad news. Yeah. When you assume this other person's success is going to detract from your own success somehow in the, the scheme of things, which isn't true at all. You know, the two things have nothing to do with each other, really. And I know many people, when I've had some kind of success or something positive happen, so many people will comment on it and, hey, way to go or congratulations, that's really cool or, or whatever. And I, I always think, man, that's really a neat thing. And, and I don't put it up there to make anybody feel jealous. I, I put it up there because something good's happened. And I'm hoping that my, my genuine friends will celebrate with me. And the question is, can I then do that for somebody else? Even though maybe things are bumpy in my own life, can I rejoice with somebody else who is having success or things are going well? And, and what can I learn from that person? You know, and I think emotionally, that's, that's a really difficult thing to try and wade through whenever we see all kinds of great things happening, but sometimes we don't feel that in our own lives, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and how do we, how do we deal with that? And man, je- the whole jealousy game and all that garbage that, yeah. That, that doesn't help us at all. I mean, it's, I think it's so much better to invest your time in, hey, how can I improve in my life? What habits can I start doing? Or who can I connect with? Or is there a book I can read or a podcast I can listen to that's going to help me go to the next level or make an improvement of some kind? Because, man, that, that jealousy and that anger, that just, it's like a cancer that eats away at your whole life if yeah. you let it. Yeah. And I would say, you know, if you, if you catch yourself in that and you realize that, Really, the only competition is you yourself and totally, totally your current self. So improve your current self to be better than that. <laughs> you know, improve your aim towards future self, <laughs> and that person is better than current self. Yeah, and and yeah. you've got all these. Honestly, there's lots of great tools out there to do that with, and we've named some of them. You know, podcasts, books, and courses, and conferences, and and things. How do you suggest though that we decide? What are we going to listen to or read or go to conference? Because you, again, you didn't pick podcast movement, but you're intending to go next year. What's the process there? 
Well, for me, it goes back to this phrase that I, I've heard. I can't remember who coined this phrase. I, was, I think I've heard Pat Flynn say it before, but it may not be original with him. I don't know. It's the concept of just-in-time learning. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's and come I up lo- a few times lately on this show. Okay. And I love that concept because it basically goes back to the idea of you're only consuming information that's going to help you with what you're doing right now or what you're just about to do. And other stuff is really extraneous because it's not helping you with what you're working on right now. Because what happens sometimes is when we listen to so many different things, whenever we read so many different books, we're subscribed to, you know, 600 different newsletters from blogs and all this stuff, is we get this information overload and we're completely paralyzed because, hey, this guru over here says we need to be doing this. Well, this other guy says I need to be doing this. This other guy says I need to be reading this book. Hey, this gal over here, she says I need to be taking this course. And you just complete you just become completely paralyzed. At least I've had that happen to yeah. me before. Well and and they may all be right. Yes. But you exactly. can't do them all at the same time right now. And so having some and again I go go back to what your roles and expectations and who has claim on you expectation wise now and then having that be at least the initial filter and then filtering that through what goals you've set kind of you know gives you a, a framework to then decide okay so what is the most important next step and which of these things gives me that and knowing that if it's a multiple choice answer and it's all going to help then maybe just picking one up at random and putting the other ones aside for uh archival purpose till you are done with the one you're at right now yes yeah exactly for instance i'll give you a good example of this uh earlier on the on our conversation you mentioned my podcast which i I basically killed that about a year and a half ago but i want to pick it up back again in the next couple of months not immediately but i want to work toward that in the next couple of months rebranding it and relaunching it and all that stuff but it's not something i'm doing right right now I mean, I've got to get through the end of my semester and my college work, and I've got some other stuff that I'm working on. But I am getting some stuff on podcasting again, and any newsletters I get or any stuff I pick up, I put that in Evernote. I know you're a big Evernote fan. I put that in Evernote for safekeeping until I get ready to then need that information. But I, I don't need to read it right now because it's only going to confuse me or overload my brain, you know. And I think to me, that's the beauty of of a tool like Evernote is you can come across stuff that's really great, then you can just dump it in there for later use, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and that's one of those favorite places for me to put those just in time articles yeah. and things like that. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Are, are we consuming too much? I mean, we've obviously we talked about fear of missing out and there's, there's always something else that we could pick up or look at or listen to or read or watch. How do we limit that so that we actually can start to have the gears move on creating our own stuff? Well, I, I, there's probably a different strategies people can use. I don't think there's any one solution for everybody, but here's what I do is I look at it in, in two ways. I listen to stuff that's going to help me now with what I'm doing. And I also listen to stuff. Now this, this goes, this is in terms of podcasts and books and I consume stuff that I just flat out enjoy. That's not helping me at all necessarily, but I just enjoy because my tendency is to research, analyze, compile information. You know, I'm an academic at heart. So that's sort of my bent anyway. But the problem with that is when you consume so much stuff, you can't put it into practice. And really, if if you're getting information, but it's not helping you take action on something, then essentially it's just clogging the drain. You know, it's not really helping you. It's just confusing you. So I, I try to be honestly much more careful these days about all the stuff that I listen to because I know 
and don't get me wrong, I love Pat Flynn. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. But I know every single time I listen to one of his shows, I'm going to get about a hundred awesome ideas. Yes. And it's almost like there's so much good stuff there. It completely sends me in overdrive because I think, oh my gosh, there's so many great nuggets of wisdom here. And so, uh, especially his Ask Pat podcast is, <laughs> is so great. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much great stuff there. And your show's the yeah. same way. Yeah. I have, I, just, a, I have a story finish up, but I, I want to for, not forget to tell you this. Yeah. And I'm basically just making the point of I, I have to be careful what I listen to, not because the stuff is not awesome, but because I know if I listen to a specific episode with this author that I really like or whatever, I'm going to come across a whole bunch of really, really good stuff that may or may not help me with my goals right now. But what's interesting though, is that many times the best stuff for me doesn't come across in the, the stuff that I think is going to be most helpful to me right now. It's little nuggets of wisdom from something that's completely unrelated to, let's say, writing or something. I mean, it may be an interview with, um, oh, let me think. I can't even remember what it was recently. It was an interview with a filmmaker or a director, I think it was. And it was something that was this incredible insight that wasn't at all about writing or or stuff like that, but it was something that was really meaningful to me in that moment. So that's why I say I think it's important to listen to things that we just enjoy and that are fun and that are entertaining rather than just stuff that's content that's going to help us right now. That's that's how I look at it anyway. But I'm kind of an artsy guy, so I love all the, those interviews with creative people mm-hmm. and filmmakers and directors and all that stuff. I love those too. You know, secret hidden passion of mine is I love hearing comedians and filmmakers and writers talk about how they do that good work. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, so the funny story was <laughs> uh, I was uh, driving back from somewhere and I was by myself and it was a kind of a road trip. So I had multiple hours and I had queued up intentionally a bunch of the Ask Pat show. Yeah. And what I didn't realize was that I was going to, and I, I so I played about 10 of them plus in a row and I just realized I had to keep stopping <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then wanting to capture something from that somehow and realize, okay, this isn't safe for me. I'm going to have to do this at some other time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. darn you, Pat, for delivering too much value. <laughs> yeah. You know, I usually listen to, to his show. And I listen to probably too many podcasts, honestly, because I like so much different stuff. But whenever I listen to his show, I usually am doing dishes or driving. Hmm. And so I couldn't tell you how many times I've had to take my hands out of the dishwater with all the, the soap bubbles and stuff on them, dry them off, find a pencil and some junk mail or any paper that's right around there, or write down all the stuff that I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, I got to dry my hands off again. There's something, there's a little nugget in there I got to listen to. So yeah, it's uh, so much good stuff in his show and in so many shows, just wonderful stuff. Yeah. One of the other key things that I use is, and I know there's a lot of free things out there. You know, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm very much a tangible book person instead of eBooks. Yeah, me I have too, a honestly. ton. <laughs> I have a ton of eBooks on, on, in my Amazon account. I don't own a Kindle anymore, but I do have an iPad mini. But uh, there are so many in there that I just don't read. But I have tangible books and I enjoy those. And again, that plays into the whole turning screens off earlier and having your mind not be blasted with rays of light while you're reading. But uh, (laughs) uh, point I'm saying is is that I've actually got, you know, that cheap route of podcasts are free. There's lots of great articles from blogs for free. There's libraries. These things called libraries. Have you heard of those? I Um, have. We go there frequently, actually. (laughs) Uh, That what I'll do is is I'll say, oh, so-and-so's got a new book coming out or just out. 
I'm going to tell my library they should get it. And a lot of times they will. That's amazing. You can get it first reserved and then you don't have to buy it. You can read it for free and then return it. And then, you know, maybe somebody else will in your local library find it and benefit as well. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then there's some cheaper stuff that's, you know, paid for like lynda.com who has been sponsoring the show from time to time or, or is an, I have an affiliate code for, I should say. That's one where I like to, if there's some specific thing that I really want to just like learn and master quickly, I'll jump in there and I'll find that course about it. And it's like two, three hours and I watch it on video. Cause again, that's a learning style sometimes, you know, that people don't think about. <laughs> as an option. Yeah. I mean, we do yeah. we do these Google searches on YouTube and like how to fix this or how to do that. And you, Linda's like taking a, a college, you know, hey, a college course all in one setting. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I love, I love all that stuff. And, and I've bought so many courses on Udemy. You know, they have their $9 and $19 sales yes. a lot of times. And I've bought way more courses than I've actually sat down and, and gone through. But I, but I love the format on there. It's, it's so well put together. It's so handy. And um, yeah, I just I just love it because there's so many opportunities for learning today. The downside of that is that you have to be really clear on what you're supposed to be learning. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just completely overwhelmed with stuff, especially on YouTube, because darn YouTube, they put all those links on the side for related yes. videos. And I inevitably will watch something and then I'll see something on the side that, oh, that's kind of interesting. And or autoplay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And And in this kind of creative space that I try to stay in, with writing and blogging and stuff, I'm interested in literally everything. So like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I forget how I even found this. It was somebody's newsletter or something, but it was a 15 minute video of this crankshaft being machined out of this solid piece of metal, which sounds absolutely crazy. Like why would anybody watch that? But it, to me, it was mesmerizing to see the, you know, this computer controlled machinery actually machine this really intricately designed piece of automotive hardware. Mm-hmm. And then I got in watching it and I thought, why did I just watch that? I just wasted 15 minutes of my life, you know, watching this crazy video. But it was it was really interesting to me. But here's the thing. It's not wasting if you're doing it at the right time allotted for you to do that watching. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the key piece there is the, the to keep it in context of time and space and attention. So yeah. speaking of books and speaking of things where people can learn from, and yes, it is an ebook, but it's still well worth reading. Is there a non-ebook version of The uh, Artist's Suitcase? Yes, there is actually print, audio, and ebook versions. Okay, good. Because I was going to feel bad saying, well, it's only an ebook, so <laughs> no. So you've created something that I think everybody should consume, and I think it may be the right time for people to consume it in their creative journey. See what I did there? The hey, Artist's the Artist's Suitcase, 26 Essentials for the Creative Journey. What are they going to get when they crack this book open digitally, audioly, that's not a word, or tangibly not. in their hand? Yes, trademark. Well, this book is is not just for quote-unquote artists or artistic people. In fact, that's, maybe I mistitled the book, I don't know. But in hindsight, you always see things a little clearer. Mm-hmm. But that's the whole argument of the book really is that it's not just about painting or drawing or whatever. I do talk a lot about that in the book, but it's really for anybody who wants to expand their creative life, no matter what type of work that you do or no matter what type of job you have or what your interests are. So the book basically is 26 short chapters on the creative process. And each chapter focuses on a letter of the alphabet. That's why it's 26 chapters. For example, 
the letter A stands for attitude. I talk about the importance of your attitude in your creative life. Uh, the letter B stands for blank page. What do you do as a creative person whenever you face a blank canvas or a blank screen or a blank page? And the the two voices that are sort of calling out behind that and how do you deal with, you know, the monster that says, you can't do this, you're not any good, you're not gifted. But then the muse that talks about, hey, you are gifted and you're blessing people and people love your work and you can totally do this. How do you deal with those competing voices? So the book goes through little short chapters that deal with different aspects of, of creativity. And what somebody comes away with after reading this, my goal is hopefully that they feel more creative, more willing to take a risk and more affirmed in their creative calling. And hopefully they get a lot of practical tips in there as well. And in fact, one of the resources I cite in there is, um, is your book on goal setting nice as something that they should definitely be looking at because just at a basic level, you know, creativity is a practical thing and it has to be practiced. It's not something you just kind of wish for and man, I wish I could be more creative. I mean, you have to just sit down and do the work, really, and and some, sometimes just fight through the process. So I hope that it'll be inspiring, but also very practical on some level. It's a short book, 120 pages or so. And I did that intentionally because I want people to consume it in little bite-sized chunks. That's awesome. A great, great way to deliver that and a great way to, to deliver value. Where can people go to find this? Well, you can go to Amazon and just search for my name, Kent Sanders, where you can search for the book, The Artist's Suitcase. Uh, you can also go to my blog, which is kentsanders.net. And there's lots of other stuff there that's related to creativity and the, you know, art, the arts and the creative process and all that good stuff. But yeah, those are the two main, main places. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, your listeners can find me there as well. Awesome. Kent, it's been fun talking with you. And I hope to see you in person at Podcast Movement in Chicago in the first week of July, 2016. I am planning on it. I live in St. Louis, so Chicago is not that far oh, away. Oh, you can jump on the train and get up in there. I can't. I love riding that train up to Chicago. It's a blast. Nice. Well, I will see you there. And, and again, thanks for being on the show. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what do you think? Are you creative? Have you held off on opening up that part of your life in whatever it is you do in your day-to-day work? Even if you think it's just some sort of mundane, boring activity, you can always insert creativity or acknowledge the fact that you yourself are uniquely able, through your experiences, through your perspective, to apply your creativity to that activity. I want to encourage you to check out Kent's book, The Artist's Suitcase, 26 Essentials for a Creative Journey. And as you heard, again, it does not just apply to someone who's quote-unquote an artist or a creative type. It is for every single person out there to learn how to apply and unlock, honestly, the creativity that is inside them and apply that to everything they do in life. Also, don't forget my course suggestion this week for lynda.com. First, go to lynda.com slash T-O-D-O. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-O-D-O. And then type in Creativity Bootcamp once you've signed up for your 10-day free trial, and you will be able to walk through this course as well as the other courses that I've suggested in the past few weeks and in previous episodes of this show. If you've not subscribed to the show yet, now's the time. Make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this show, please head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes to share it and leave a rating or a review Thanks again for listening. I'm Eric Fisher. 
and I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.